Hello, Christ community. It's good to see you. I actually, I just heard that we're able, for the first time, that we're able to give our tithes through a text. What does that mean? Like, I was like, in my head, I'm like, I don't want to teach tonight. I want to just, you know, talk about this texting thing and taking over the world. And it's just, whoa. Okay. So anyway, I just had to get that off my chest. Like that, it changes everything, I think. Because, you know, I mean, I grew up in the country. I'm from Ohio. I was the guy who collected frogs and put them in my pocket. I, uh, I, during the spring, like frogs are tadpoles, right? And because they start out as tadpoles, which if you think about that, it just blows my mind. Like frogs are tadpoles and, and they swim around and they have a tail. They're like a little fish and then they, they grow out appendages. And so in the spring, I catch tadpoles and I bring them home and I put them in the aquarium I had and they grow into frogs and I just loved it. But then during summer, I go out and hunt frogs. I was a frog hunter. I had like this little, anyway. Um, so I'd hunt these frogs and I'd, I love frogs. And they're just like year after year after year, it was my thing. It's what I did. I went and I hunted frogs and I collected frogs. And, and I remember in the, the eighth grade, something crazy happened in eighth grade. A bunch of things crazy happens in the eighth grade, but um, primarily in b- biology class, um, that's the, the age that you, you, you each pair up, and they give you this big dead frog, you know, to tear apart. And so I'm someone who I love frogs. I collect frogs. I hunt frogs. I, and they're just like so full of like, they hop around and they're hard to catch and, and they croak and I love them. And then here's this dead frog. And, and we had this tin pan. And so in the tin pan, there's these pins and a scalpel, and, and this frog was big. It was bigger than any frog that I ever caught, and I was like, wow, you know? And this p- partner I had, she was terrified of this dead frog, but I was excited, you know, to c- cut into it, so I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about dissecting a frog, and so, um, so, so you cut down the center, and you pull open its skin, you pin it, and there's its, its chest cavity, and you cut it open, and there's its heart, and, it's, and, and, and day after day, you go to a different part of the frog. But, but after class is done, you put saran wrap over it, and you put it on the shelf, which is kind of weird. And then the day after, you have class again, you pull off the, the, the tin with saran wrap, and you start cutting into your frog again, and then you study the heart, and, and you pull out the heart, and you cut the heart open until you just hack it to shreds, and you can't even tell it's a heart anymore, but it was a heart, and it was a part of a frog. And then you, the day after, you, you take the intestines out, and they're really long. Like, it's amazing that it goes in there. And then you cut the intestines open, and it just blows your mind, and it's like, wow, these had been intestines, and it had been a part of a frog that had a purpose before, and, and with different parts. You start pulling out in the hopes of explaining. Well, after five or six days of doing this, the frog doesn't seem like a frog anymore. It's just like this pile of yuck, right? Like, it's just like, ugh. And on, on the end of like the fifth or sixth day, I remember staring down at my frog, thinking, what have I done? You know, like, what have I done? This isn't a frog anymore. But I heard this kid say, and he was joking, he said, check out my frog. 
And I was like, in my head, I was like, this is not a frog anymore. I bring up this story because I think a bunch of us do that with our faith. Uh, we as children, oh, I've already cried. This is going to be good. All right. So, so we as children, like we love it. And we go out and we hunt it and we try to find it. And we catch it. And we bring it home. And we put it in our pockets and we, we tell stories about it and how it slipped away and how we caught it. Or, and it has something that just brings us life and fulfillment. And there are those times that, that, that we bring it to a sterile environment with fluorescent lights and formaldehyde and a scalpel. And it's fun. Like, it's, it's fun to, to dive into things and tear them apart. But sometimes we just go too far, too far, too far, and we forget about the hunt. And we forget about the ponds and the environments and, and the stars over, over the sky. When you hunt frogs, you have to do it when it's dark out, you know? And we forget about that because here it is. And, and, and so often, we have this faith that, that after so long, it's not a faith anymore. It's just a whole pile of yuck. Because it's been torn apart, it's been picked apart, and we're able to explain something that had been a heart before, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so then we go around holding this dead frog that's been, like, torn up to shreds, and it's disgusting, and people see it, and they want to throw up. And we're like, it'll check out our frog. And in our hearts, we know it's ugly and disgusting and gross, but we're hoping someone will say, that's awesome. Can I have a frog like that, too? <laughs> You're like, no, thanks. And so often, I think, you know, personally, I'm speaking for myself, you know, I'm not blaming or pointing fingers here. So often I come to church bringing this, this dead frog that hasn't had a heartbeat forever, hoping that it'll come back to life. Because I miss what it had been. I miss the joy of it and feeling it in my pocket, knowing it's alive. You know, I miss that faith that was filled with just like wonder, you know, what's going to happen today? What's it going to be like? What am I being taught? Who is God? You know, wonder, wonder, wonder. Because so often taking our faith to a table of formaldehyde and a scalpel takes all of the wonder and the bigness and the life out of it. It has no heart. And so often, so often I talk to people and they say, I just want to feel how I did as a child. I want, you know, to have the faith that I did as a child. I want to feel like I did. I want the butterflies. You know, I want that. And the thing is, is it's just not as a child, but, but this is how it's supposed to be. Can we ever come to a place that we actually understand God? No. Can we ever come to a place that we fully understand the Bible. No. Can we ever come to a place where wonder is vanquished? I hope not, but this is typical. So tonight our topic is wonder, okay? How to wonder as a child, how to have that big heart perspective of wow. And so as I was thinking about, like, how do I teach that? I have no idea. It's such a big concept for me. And so um, thankfully, our, our, our church is doing a sermon series called, you know, As a Child. And so posturing ourselves as a child in this perspective of going and chasing the wonder of God, the bigness of God, the posture of God. And there thankfully is an old Christmas hymn um, that we're actually going to start in um, that's found in the book of Matthew chapter 2, but it's the star of wonder, you know, and it goes like that. So I'm like, I want to teach that passage. I want to talk about the stars. I want to talk about bigness. I want to talk about 
gazing up, right? And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 2, and it's going to be on the screen. And so as a church, we're going to do this together, and we're going to talk about these passages, which are brilliant and big and beautiful. Um, So here we go. As Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so we are going to be talking about the story of the people from the east who came to find the King of the Jews. And this first passage brings up the key players um, that are in this story and that are in this passage. Uh, The key players, first of all, are the people from the east. And then second of all, King Herod. And then third of all, Christ, the king of the Jews. And then third of all, a star. It was actually said his star. And so first of all, I want to just kind of pick it apart a bit so we actually understand the thing that we're talking about in the story. I want to talk about each of these key players in the story because they're each brilliant and big. So the first people that we're going to talk about are the the people from the East. And in different passages in the Bible or different translations of the Bible, it calls them kings. It calls them magi. It calls them wise men. Um, I don't care, right? It's these people from the east of high authority, high power. They're very intelligent. They're very, very, very educated people. Um, The odds are people say they come from Persia. Um, So if you think about Persia and kind of all the things that you've seen on TV about Persia, you can personify that on these people. There's a big caravan. This probably isn't just a couple people. Let's say hundreds of people, big caravan. These people are important. Camels and hay and the incense and hookahs. I don't know. And so there's this whole thing happening. And and furthermore, the Persians, these people are very far away. Okay? I mean, this is very obvious, but it's important for our story to understand the Persians are very far away from Jerusalem. The Persians are very, very far. So for them to be in Jerusalem, it's a big deal for them to have been there. It probably took them three or four years of traveling to be a part of this story. They're very far away. They're very educated. They're very rich. And furthermore, they have this obsession as far as the stars go. The Persians, the Assyrians, and Babylonians, Thelonians have this obsession with the stars. In fact, probably 80% of the things that people use as far as tarot cards and all those things and, and the different things as far as the stars go, it comes from Persia. They have spent so much time staring up at the sky and cataloging, and it's just brilliant, right? I'm not saying tarot cards are brilliant, but how much time that they spent, just correction, I don't want emails. Okay, so, um, so it's just phenomenal how much time these people have spent staring up at the stars, which I think is important because whenever you look up at the stars, and 
for most of us, we don't ever take the time to actually stare up at the stars. Whenever you look up at the stars, you shrink. You know, like you just shrink and you're a tiny little person in the midst of the stars. It's just brilliant. And the Persians understood this. They, they, they are dictated by the stars. So you have the Persians. And then the, the other character in this story is King Herod. And King Herod, King Herod is a very interesting character. If you take everything that you've heard about King Herod, you put it aside, pretend to forget about it, and then you actually study who King Herod the Great is, the Jewish people say he was one of the greatest Jewish kings to ever be on the throne. He had the best economy. He built the most um, of any other king. The, 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 the wealth of Jerusalem was at its peak. Um, he had the biggest army that Jerusalem has ever had. He was a very, very, very successful king. But people also said he was a madman. But they loved that about him because he kept them safe. He built things, had a huge army, and the economy was killer. But, but, but he was known as someone who would do whatever it took um, for his power to stay. He would, take, he would do whatever it took to grow Jerusalem. He would do whatever it took. It's, it says that he even killed his own family so he could stay in the throne. He was a madman. And furthermore, the term Herod the Great, he actually called himself that because he thought he was so great. And so he had the kingdom of Jerusalem at its peak and he built it by his own hands, right? In his own wits. And he saw himself as the protector of Jerusalem. And then the, the other person in the story, of course, um, who is at the centerpiece is, is the baby Jesus. It was uh, born the king of the Jews. Um, so it was said and prophesied that there was going to be a king. Um, it was prophesied 580 years before it actually happened, um, that there would be a king that would, would rise up in the town of Bethlehem, um, that that would be 100% God, 100% human, and, and he would rise up and the government would be on his shoulders and things would be different. And everyone knew this. It was the Messiah was coming. But it hasn't ever happened, you know? That, that prophecy happened 580 years ago. I can't even think about something that happened 580 years ago. And so people have forgotten. It's not this big deal. And they're not thinking about it in Jerusalem. The other thing that's happening in this story. So first, we had the people from the east. Secondly, we had King Herod. And then we had the Messiah. And then, then also at the end of this passage, we had the star, right? And the star is important. The star is very important because the star is the thing that brings everyone to this central point. It's what brought the Persians over to Jerusalem. What, what caused them to travel so far, it was the star. So you see, the Persians, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians have this thing that I don't know if it's true or not, um, because this isn't a part of Christianity. It's not a part of the Hebraic faith at all. Um, but the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and the Persians believe that whenever a god is born on earth, they have their own star. Right? It's a, it's a thing in the East. And that is why in this passage, they actually say, 
He saw his star. It was his star. It just wasn't a hypothetical star. They saw his star, the one who was born king of the Jews. He was born because the day he was born, his star popped up. It's in the text. It's his star. And for the Persians, this isn't a big deal at all. It's, of course, God was born. That's why we're here. It's his star. And I don't know if, if, if you guys spend time thinking about these things, but for me, it just blows my mind. So um, the whole thing is like, so there's a star that pops up on the day that Jesus is born. It guides the Persians here to Jerusalem. Brilliant, right? That's cool. That's just cool anyway. But then if you think about the star, and technically the stars do not exist in the same place that the stars are today because the things that you're seeing is is where the star had been four years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 150 years ago, 500 years ago. Some of the stars that we see in the sky don't even exist anymore, but we are just seeing them as it took so long for the light to hit our eyes. That star is actually there 500 years ago. And so if you think the planning... You know, if you think of the planning, the day Jesus was born, the star hits human eyes. But it was possibly only there like 500 years ago, or it was there 20 years ago, or it wasn't actually there, but it was there. It just hit earth, and you know what I mean? Like the planning it took, and then how it moved across the sky to guide the person to the very place of Jerusalem. Whatever. That blows my mind. And when we talk about the topic of, of having this, this wonder of a child, you know, I pulled up some of the, the texts about, you know, the star of David and the star of Bethlehem, and people try to explain it. It drives me nuts. Like, it's like, oh, it's a comet. It's a supernova. I don't care what it is. There was a star that popped up the day Jesus was born. That blows my mind. And then think about this, too. So something I said very early on was that that the whole whole thing about the star being something that the Persians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians, that they had faith in that whenever there was a God that was born on earth, a star popped up, and that it isn't something from the Christian faith or the Hebrew faith at all, that means that God was speaking the vocabulary of somebody outside the Hebraic faith. He was testifying to someone, do you know what I'm saying? Like, he was speaking the vocabulary of the Persians, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. That star was for them. The Hebrew people had no idea. That's interesting, and that blows my mind, and that makes this story really, really, really fun. And so it was like there was this calling. There's a star that pops up. God's talking to people. There's something happening. There's this star. So, okay, it's time to continue on in the story. Here we go. So, So as a congregation again... When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Then Herod called to the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. 
I love this. Like, um, oh, you guys. Okay, so, so in this text, just in this text, so Herod hears these things and he freaks out. And it also says all of Jerusalem begins to freak out too. They're troubled, they're disturbed. The king and Jerusalem, they're all disturbed. And then he calls the Magi and says, tell me the exact time that the star appeared. Why? Because he's trying to find out how old Jesus was, because he's affirming the Persian tradition that a star pops up whenever a God is born on earth. It's amazing. Okay, so it's like, if I find out you know, when the star is born, then I'll figure out how old he is, and we'll figure this all out together, and he's freaking out. Here's the thing, the, the, that the star just didn't pop up. That The star had been something that had a date in the past that they had to find out when it happened. <laughs> I'm everywhere right now, and it's really fun. Um, so, so the star was something that happened whenever Jesus was born. It popped up. The Persians saw it. They followed it a long distance. Okay? They followed this star. So time passed. As Jesus was born, the star pops up. Time passes. Jesus gets older. He isn't in the stable anymore. He's older than a baby. He, yeah. And so the star happens. Herod says, when was the exact time that the star happened? And the thing is, is the Persians knew about the birth of Jesus. The Persians knew about the birth of the king of the Jews before, possibly two to three to four years before the Jews even knew. This is big. This is bigger than sending the, the, the offerings by text, right? This is big because here's the deal. The Persians, who are very, very far away, knew the king of the Jews had been born before the Jews knew the king of the Jews had been born. By, by a year, two years, three years, four years, the Jews had no idea that Jesus was born in their backyard, but the Persians knew somewhere over there in two years, three years, four years of travel, God has been born on earth. How does that happen? Wonder, okay, like this, that's what, how does that happen? How does someone so far away, someone of a different religion, someone of a different path, someone of a different culture, someone of a different everything, know that God has born himself here on earth before those he was prophesied to, before those who said all hope is in this Messiah. They had no idea. Backyard, right here. The same star was there. <laughs> if you think about it, the same star, it was probably bigger and more beautiful there. It popped up at the same time. What was wrong? Simply, Jerusalem was all about Jerusalem. King Herod was all about King Herod. The Jews were all about the Jews. Things were awesome. 
King Herod and his people are freaking out. He even knows it's the Messiah. He calls them the Messiah. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? It's not this hypothetical king. He knew right off the bat, uh-oh, the Messiah's here, the one that was promised. What do we do? And King Herod and the Jews begin to react out of fear. They begin to react out of fear instantly because they are small-minded. They're small-minded because they're only looking at themselves and the kingdom that they built. Herod is only thinking about whatever it takes to stay on the throne. Herod is only thinking about his economy, his kingdom, the thing that he is building, protecting his family, protecting his people. And so all eyes are on Jerusalem. All eyes are typically all on Jerusalem, on our own kingdoms, on our own families, on our own protection, on our own economy, on ourselves. And whenever our eyes are on us and ourselves and our own protection and our own fears and our own kingdoms, we don't ever look up. We don't ever look up. We always look down. So in the summer, this past summer in June, it was 2 a.m. And sometimes at 2 a.m. I can't sleep. And there's this thing that I do. It drives my family nuts. I do, do things that are kind of out there. And so it was 2 a.m. I told my wife I have to go. I have to go out and I have to go on a hike. I always, it's, so I often have these 2 a.m. hikes that are like whatever. But I just have to feel something. And so it's 2 a.m. I go out and I go on this hike on the pooter trail. But the thing that was very interesting about the Pooter Trail at this time is that, that it was flooded, right? And so I brought my fly fishing uh, pants and my boots and stuff. It's two in the morning. I put them on and I'm like, I'm going to hike the Pooter Trail in the water. It's up to here. And so it's cold and the sky is like crystal clear. And, uh, and in my head, I'm like, this is stupid. I will never tell anyone I'm doing this. I'm telling you, I'm doing this. And so, and so I'm like traipsing through it. And the parts of the pooter that are flooded out, they're actually very still the whole time. When the bigger part of the pooter was, was going for it. And, but the moon was big and the stars were bright. So I didn't have to have a flashlight. I didn't have to have anything. And I'm, I'm hiking, you know, in like this swampy cow field thing. I love it. And no one has a clue I'm there. I could get picked up by the police, you know, and just there's something about it that I love. And so I'm hiking through it and it's all calm. And then I stop. Because the thing that I see is that I'm staring down at this swampiness. And because it's all calm, except for when I step, when it's calm, I can see the stars perfect. Like the stars are, are here. And I just stood there and I started crying. I'm like, oh, I'm walking through the stars. Okay, I know that's stupid, but that's how it felt. Like, I'm walking through the stars. And I started to pick out the constellations that were in front of me. And in my head, I started to dream and picture and feel, feel alive. I'm in my fly fishing stuff at two in the morning in the flooded Poudre River, and I'm walking through the stars. 
And then it hit me. What are you doing? Because I'm looking at the stars here, and I look up, and I just start laughing. Because it's like the sun is about to come up. The stars are just poking through and vibrant. And it's like, no one else is up right now. And this is mine. And it felt like it was all mine. And the stars, I was the only one seeing them. And I saw this thing shoot across, which I don't know. I can't explain what that is. I don't know anything about stars. And if I explain it, it isn't fun anymore. And this thing shot across the sky. I was like, yes, I'm the only one who saw that. And the thing I think about is, you know, I think about the Persians who spent so much time looking up at the stars and and feeling small and feeling blessed and feeling big. And, And it was that very experience that caused them to go from Persia to Jerusalem, which is a really long way. They saw something shooting across the sky and said, what the heck was that? What was that? And whatever that is, whatever popped up, that's his star. I'm going to allow it to take me somewhere. I'm going to ask questions about that star. Whose is it? Where is it guiding me? What's it tied to? Are there any prophets? I don't know. But you got to imagine the questions that these people are asking to associate that star with something of value. I mean, what did they ask? I think it's brilliant. It's this that causes them to, to, to create a caravan, to go on a journey, to, to go out of their home to a foreign territory, to become, become educated in the Old Testament, that they know that has to be the king of the Jews star. How did they get that? I don't know. It's awesome. It caused them to go places that they thought they wouldn't ever go. (laughs) It's brilliant and it's good. All right, so our final passage of the day is here. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was. What? When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So they talked to King Herod. They say, there's a Messiah that was born. And King Herod says, I'm going to kill him pretty much. And the, the, the Magi say, say, that's a bad idea. I will find him on our own. And so they follow the star that they followed all the way, all these shares. They find it. And it says they're overjoyed. It's like an old companion, an old friend that began this journey from the beginning. It is there to the end. That the, just that text, overjoyed. These Persians were overjoyed. Do you ever think of a Persian person being overjoyed? I don't. And so it's just like that idea. Like, I love that. Like, they're overjoyed people. Yay. And so they're following this star, right? And these are people in a huge caravan. They're Persians, camels, you know, the incense, frankincense, myrrh, gold. They're rich. They're educated. They are awesome. And they come to this house where they find Mary and Jesus, and they bow down before him. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Because you had King Herod, who, who King Herod's a Jew, 
right? And all of Jerusalem, and they hear about the birth of the Messiah, and they freak out. And they ask the question, how do we control this? These people from Persia, they come and they find the king of the Jews, who he is not even their king. Think about that one. He's not even for them, you know, in the text. And they find him and the idea of the star and the idea of wonder and the idea of of authority puts them in a posture of worship. I don't know what this means, but it's bigger than me. Right? I don't know what this means, but it's bigger than us. I don't know what this means, but it's bigger than Persia. The Jews did not know Jesus was born until four years or three years after the fact. Because they were so focused on their own safety, their own selves, their own kingdom, that God was born in their backyard and they had no idea. And their response to it was a response of fear. While the people outside who saw the first glimpse, the first twinkle of the eye in the sky, that God was up to something. They followed it. It caused them to go to places they've never been before. It challenged them. It caused them to ask questions. And it brought them on a journey. This is the epitome of wonder. This is what wondering does. Whenever you do not have the sense of wonder and the brilliance about you to ask questions, you and King Herod are good company. Because King Herod knew it. He knew all the answers. He knew what had to happen for Jerusalem to succeed. But the thing is, the whole point of Jesus being born, it was for Jerusalem to succeed. The Magi knew it. So the question, the very, very simple question, the easy question is, uh, what would it be like to embody the sense of wonder that the Persians had compared to the sense of entitlement, the sense of authority, and the small-mindedness of King Herod? Because to be honest, 99% of the time, I am like King Herod. He is awesome to me. I copy him, but I don't want to. I want to be like the Persians. And when I encounter the greatness of God to worship him, because whatever it is, it's bigger than me. So what would it be like whenever you approach your spouse, whenever you approach your children to have a sense of wonder? What would it be like whenever you approach your job to have a sense of wonder? What would it be like each day when you get up to have a sense of wonder? Or when you go to bed, a sense of wonder? What would it be like when you approach the Bible to have a sense of wonder compared to a sense of entitlement and small-mindedness? What would it be like when you approach church to have a sense of wonder? Where is this taking me? What am I getting into? Am I bringing something? What's the posture I have? Is it a posture of control or is it a posture of worship? 
what would it be like to approach our everyday reality with a sense of wonder? What would it be like to not be focusing so much on ourselves and our story and our kingdom and our family that we forget or we don't even realize that there are stars popping up and God is bringing his kingdom all around us and we have no idea, but everyone else can see it except us. What would it be like that 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 morning I stood in that spot forever. Like I was scared to move because if I moved, if I moved, the, the thing would crinkle and I wouldn't see the stars anymore. So I stood there and I was like, man, this is a holy moment. And then the sun just barely began to come up and I saw right here and there was a frog and I tried to catch it, but I didn't. Please pray with me. Oh God, breathe on us. Tell us stories. Teach us about the stars that you are throwing down. Help us to look up and see the bigness of you and the smallness of me. Oh God, breathe in our hearts, cause them to beat put them back together, the things that we have dissected and explained to death. Oh God, thank you for inviting us into your story, which is bigger than we're able to explain. Thank you for our family and for Christmas and for Jesus and for stars and frogs. Thank you that you love us. And God, today, today you invite us to be present inside of the presence of you. You have invited us to be here and to look upward. Teach us to breathe. Teach us to see the things that you have done, are doing, and are going to do. Your stars are everywhere. God, for those of us who haven't had our heartbeat in a really long time and are holding dead frogs on our hand, just just hoping that someday they'll come back to life, God, show them that's what you do best. You bring dead things back to life. God, breathe. God, you are a God who your dreams live and your kingdom crashes into earth. Show us. Thank you for inviting us into the things that you are doing. Thank you for speaking and being here. In Christ, we all pray.